Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Buddy Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Buddy Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, we are talking all about hair health and how you can take care of your hair as you age and how you deal with hair loss and just a ton of questions that I know that I have around hair and I know that some of our MBG community members have around hair as well. To do so, I am having on a very special guest, Dr. Neera Nathan. She is a board-certified dermatologist and a researcher at Massachusetts General Hospital, as well as on the faculty of Harvard Medical School. So I feel like I'm in very great hands. Dr. Nathan, welcome. Hi, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, my name is Neera. I'm a board-certified dermatologist based in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm so excited to be here and join the ranks of many of my colleagues who've actually joined you on their podcast. Super exciting to be among the greats. I feel very honored. Well, you certainly deserve to be right up there. So, you know, I I always like to start off these episodes by allowing the the guests to introduce themselves and, um, you know, share share their story. Um, So, you know, what was your journey into medicine and more specifically dermatology? So I come from a family of physicians who served our small town in Western Maryland. And I really admire both of my parents for what they did for the community. But then when my big sister ended up going into medicine, when, you know, to be honest, I was young and I just wanted to be different for the sake of being different. So I tried other things. I interned at a law office. I interned on Capitol Hill. But ultimately, I just came back to medicine. Like the pull was like very great. And I ended up completing a combined bachelor's and medical degree program. So that's when you apply directly from high school and you get into both college and medical school at the same time, just kind of contingent on keeping good grades. And then in my last year of college, I knew I was going to medical school, but it really hadn't put much thought into what I wanted to do. So at the time I was studying abroad in Australia and I remember being so impressed by their public health campaign about the risks of sun exposure and skin cancer as this really preventable disease. And then during medical school, I sought out opportunities to help care for adults with skin cancer, which was really rewarding. And I was also able to care for children with very rare conditions that had visible skin lesions. So, you know, I realized that as dermatologists, we not only can make people feel better in their own skin, but we can really make a difference in someone's overall health. So I just feel, you know, so lucky and grateful to be part of this really amazing field. And, you know, I'm always curious about, you know, what what people specifically enjoy about their jobs or, you know, what areas particularly interest of them are of interest to them. And, you know, same question to you, you know, what areas of dermatology particularly pique your interest? There are so many. Um, I am really interested, let's start, in cosmeceuticals. So that is the science behind the ingredients and products that are in our skincare and hair care. Um, I was really lucky to train at Mass General, and a lot of the laser technologies were actually invented there, which was super cool. I was able to run some clinical trials and lasers and devices. 
I also have special training in Mohs micrographic surgery. That is a special type of, sur of surgery that's used to treat skin cancer, and it has exceptionally high cure rates. And then ultimately, you know, as a board-certified dermatologist, I really do believe that we are the experts in all things skin, hair, and nails. I always like to ask this next question because I think it illuminates, you know, what the broader conversation to follow. And it's, what is your beauty philosophy? I am a true minimalist. So I would say, you know, take really good care of your skin and hair. I think to me, beauty is not about looking a certain way, but instead just being the most vibrant, healthy version of yourself. Okay. And what is your well-being philosophy? So similar. Bare bones, you know, I think eat well, prioritize sleep, take walks, and then foster really close friendships. I think that's those are the keys to health and happiness for me. Yeah. So, you know, as I alluded to earlier, uh, today's episode is all about hair health. Um, and, you know, we're going to be talking about hair loss and hair growth and, you know, just uh, a few of the variables that kind of fall within uh, this this conversation. And it's a complicated topic. And I want to lay the groundwork for folks um, because it is complicated. And I think one of the best places to start is to talk about hair growth the hair growth cycle and and the stages that are within it. Because, you know, I, I don't know if people always realize that your hair is constantly growing in, you know, various stages and there is like a cycle to this. Um, so, you know, I, I would love if you could explain, uh, you know, that cycle to us. Yeah, of course. So let's see. Uh, let's start with antigen. So that is the growth phase. And I would say the majority, so about 90% of the hairs on our scalp at any time are going to be an antigen. And antigen lasts for years on the scalp, but only lasts for months on the eyebrows and eyelashes. And that's why, you know, the hair on your scalp can grow really long, but your eyebrows and eyelashes can only grow so much. And antigen is then followed by catagen, and that's where the hair follicle shrinks or regresses. And that phase is going to last about one or two weeks. And that's followed by telogen. And this is where the hair follicle is resting or asleep. And this takes about three months to complete. And exogen, which is the actual shedding of hairs that occurs at the very end of telogen, is going to then complete the hair cycle and bring us straight back to antigen. Okay. Um, and, you know, throughout this, cycle, what are some of the things that might be affecting it, um, you know, perhaps triggering it to go into the loss stage quicker? Or, you know, basically, what are the common triggers for hair loss? Yeah. So, you know, there, there are a couple, you know, hormones definitely play a role. There's no question. I think in men, there is a particularly strong relationship between an androgen called DHT or dihydrotestosterone and hair loss. DHT causes the hair follicle to shrink over time. So it's going to turn those thicker, longer hairs into wispy, shorter hairs. And eventually the entire follicle is going to disappear. Now, this hormone also plays a role in female pattern hair loss, but the exact role of hormones in hair loss in women, I think it's a bit less clear. Age, definitely all, 
also a factor. So frequency of hair loss increases with age. We know that. But people of all ages can experience hair loss. And finally, stress is a huge trigger in hair loss and absolutely plays a role. I want to, you know, dive in a little bit more on the age-related aspect of it and the stress as well. But we'll start with age because um, I'm I'm curious, you know, why does age affect our hair? You know, I obviously I think people know that it happens. They can see that it happens. Um certainly, you know, I'm starting to see some grays pop in and, <laughs> you know, I'm curious, you know, what, what is happening and why, why does age affect hair so much? Yeah. So again, it's a really interesting area of research and I'll give you kind of my, my general take on it. When we age our whole body, right? Eventually what happened was our cells just kind of get tired and they stop working as well as they used to. And the hair follicle is no different. It is a collection of cells. And after cycle after cycle of the hair cycle, those cells um, start to deplete. So eventually our hair follicles just aren't able to grow hair as well, just as our skin isn't quite as able to regenerate collagen the way it did when we were younger. So our whole body goes through aging. I think aging is really the body just slowing down. That's what happens in the hair follicle. Sure. Um, and uh, stress, you know, this is obviously something that is in all, a lot of people's minds. Um, certainly, you know, stress-related hair loss was a big topic of conversation during the pandemic. Um, I think that was a great education uh, moment for people where they realized that, oh, God, stress on the body really can, you know, affect hair growth. Um and just in general, I think anybody who's gone through moments of stress likely has experienced something in this vein. Um, so what what is happening when uh, you experience stress-related hair loss? So this is like one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm so glad that we're focusing on this today. So there are, there are several ways. So acute or short-term stressors are known to cause hair loss by causing those growing hairs in antigen to abruptly shift into the resting phase or telogen. And that's going to result in excess shedding about three months after that stressful event. So I think it's really important for people to understand it's not immediate. It's not like you have stress and you wake up the next morning and all your hair is on your pillow. There is that delay for telogen to occur and then that exogen shedding event. And um, when you have this type of stress-induced hair loss that happens three months after a stressful event, it is called telogen effluvium. And it is going to present as kind of diffuse, all-over thinning. But sometimes um, people, especially women, will notice it mostly around their temple area. And people experiencing telogen effluvium will often say, you know what, my ponytail is a lot thinner. I'm seeing a lot more hair on the brush or in the shower drain, and those are some signs. So physically stressful events are one group that can trigger telogen effluvium. And those include childbirth, illness, or surgery. And you know, you mentioned COVID allies. During COVID, so many people experienced hair loss about, you know, three or four months after recovering from the illness. So it absolutely was one of those physical triggers. And similarly, a serious emotional stressor, so divorce, loss of a loved one, this can also trigger this type of hair loss. I think the good news is that telogen effluvium is generally temporary, 
it shouldn't cause complete baldness. And the hair does slowly begin to regrow after the trigger resolves. But I will say in a small set of people, and this is particularly women in their middle age, telogen effluvium can be long-lasting or chronic. And it's not exactly clear why this happens, but the hair continues to shed for longer than six months. Serious emotional stressors have also been linked to another form of hair loss called alopecia areata. This is a patchy form of autoimmune hair loss that can occur in kids and adults. And there's also some growing new evidence that low levels of chronic stress, so we're talking day-to-day stress, can actually elevate our stress hormones like cortisol, which can in turn gradually shorten the hair growth phase and ultimately turn off our hair follicles. So we're talking stress from our daily commute or jobs can be contributing to hair loss over a long period of time. And this is a huge potential trigger of hair loss for so many people. I don't want to sound alarmist, but that's so scary. I mean, you know, that's day-to-day stress. You know, when you talk to when you talk to people about this, how do you talk to them about specifically that last one? Just because that does sound scary, right? I mean, it sounds scary that even day to day stress can trigger us to lose our hair. No, no one wants to hear that. Um, how do you how do you talk to people about this? How do you one, you know, comfort them, and then two, help them understand how they can help themselves? either manage stress better or manage their hair better? You know, what sort of conversations are you having? You know, I think it's challenging. This is such a, hair loss is such a rapidly evolving field in dermatology. There's so much research going into it and we're learning more about hair loss and hair graying literally every day. So I always say the landscape's evolving and this is kind of the way that, you know, um, this is how we can use what we know now, but just know that What's true today may not be true in six months, certainly may not be true in five years. We may be doing things differently, right? I think that's true with anything. So I think as far as the chronic kind of day-to-day stress, I think that in the study I'm referencing, I, I think that cortisol or stress hormones were particularly identified as what is really harming the hair follicle. So, you know, I would tell anyone, you know, to reduce your chronic stress that could potentially be leading to hair loss, try to reduce your cortisol levels. So again, not a lot of research on specific interventions to reduce cortisol levels, but there are a couple things that have some data. So for one, um, meditation, specifically transcendental meditation or TM, I am a huge avid practicer of TM, has been shown to reduce some of those stress levels in people who practice often. And movement, exercise, aerobic exercise can also reduce cortisol levels. So those are things to try as best as you can to work into your day-to-day routine. Um, I mentioned when we were talking about wellness, prioritizing sleep, um, it is so hard to do, but if you make it a priority, just like you make it a priority to brush your teeth in the morning or go to work in the morning, then you can really reap the benefits from sleep. Our body cannot function without sleep. Um, I will personally say I go to bed at 9.30 almost every single night and I get nine hours of sleep. That is how important I think it is. And I practice what I preach to others. So I I think those are some things that we can do. And then, of course, you know, we're going to talk a little bit later about other more kind of concrete strategies for targeting hair loss. Yeah. And um, I also want to ask about diet because, you know, I think this is an area where people are just endlessly curious about how nutrition plays a role in 
in hair growth and hair health in general. And I also think this is an area where there's a lot of confusion too, you know? So I'm curious, how do you, one, how does nutrition play a role in hair health? And and two, you know, what what can people do to support their hair through their nutrition? I think this is such a great question and you hit the nail on the head. I think there is a lot of confusion about this. So hopefully... I can um, help clear some of this up. So we know in medicine from observation of people who have inherited disorders of vitamin metabolism or severe malnutrition, that hair growth is absolutely dependent on basic nutrients and overall internal health. No questions there. So crash diets, very restricted diets, or diets completely void of protein can cause hair loss. And the way that I tell people to think about this is when your body goes into panic mode and is trying to conserve resources, your hair will be among the first to suffer because it's not an essential function. So your resources are going to be routed elsewhere. And as far as what you can do, I think the first thing that everyone should make sure they're doing is eat a very balanced diet. It sounds simple, but it is really important, not just for your hair, but your overall health. Make sure you're getting enough protein because protein is needed to make hair. Our hair is primarily keratin, which is protein. It is that simple. And most healthy women should aim for about 40 to 60 grams of protein per day. And I do think that's a lot more than many of us are getting. And there are other nutrients and vitamins that are additionally important for the hair follicle to function or work normally. So aside from protein, deficiency. So we're talking low levels of biotin, selenium, zinc, vitamin D, and fatty acids may be linked to hair loss. So when I say eat a varied diet, some of the foods that are rich in the nutrients I mentioned are wild-caught fatty fish, nuts, leafy greens, and whole eggs. But I do, you know, I, I think the context of this conversation, I do want to be clear that more is not always more. So we also know that too much of some of these nutrients have actually been shown to cause hair loss or to cause other serious problems. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it definitely is a tricky balance. And, you know, one thing that I I have done is, you know, I, I get my levels checked. Um, and I'm curious, is that something that you encourage people to do regularly? Or is there a or, you know, is that one of those things that, you know, people should should do when they start feeling X, Y, Z? You know, how do you approach the deficiency conversation and, you know, getting getting your blood checked? My feeling in general is that most, not all, but most healthy people who eat a very balanced diet are unlikely to become nutrient deficient. So that's most, but not all. I would say to people who are experiencing hair loss, some doctors may test your stores of certain nutrients and come up with a plan for supplementation. And I'll give you an example. So for instance, vitamin D and iron are very common deficiencies and of nutritional deficiencies, and they may be associated with hair loss. So those are um, some of the nutrients that may be tested if you were to come to a doctor and say, hey, I've been losing my hair. This is unusual for me. This is new. What can I do? Okay. And then, you know, Obviously, hair care products and topicals are certainly a part of this discussion as well. Um, you know, obviously what 
what we put on our hair and what we put on our scalp um, affects affects not only the hair fiber health, but affects our scalp health and can theoretically, you know, um, get in the way of healthy hair growth or encourage healthy hair growth, right? So, you know, what what do you tell people in terms of topical products and, um, you know, hair care products? Are there general rules of thumb that you tell people to follow for, you know, healthy hair growth? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, you know, your scalp is skin. It's just skin that's growing terminal or thick hair. So it needs to be treated gently and with the care you would use when treating a skin on your face. And every hair follicle is actually a pore. So remember that the things that you're putting on your hair or scalp have the potential to get absorbed. So I would probably aim for clean products for your hair. Um, and what I mean by that, that can mean a lot of things. So avoid silicones, which can clog pores not only on the scalp, but on your face. Um, avoid sulfates and synthetic fragrances because those can cause irritation or allergy. And taking care of your scalp is going to really ensure that you have the most healthy environment to help grow your hair. And we know if you have too much irritation or inflammation on the scalp, you can lose your hair. And likewise, really tight hairstyles, over-processing your hair with chemical treatments, heat styling can affect your hair and scalp by causing inflammation, hair breakage, and ultimately hair loss. So you really want to minimize those things. And I think ultimately, less is more in my book when it comes to hair care. I think that definitely laid a, a ton of great groundwork for us. Um, I, I feel like we have a pretty fantastic baseline knowledge here. Um, and, you know, then some. I, I also reached out to some MDG community uh, folk, and I, I wanted to get some of their questions about hair growth and, and hair health in particular. So I have a few that I'm going to be sharing here today, and we can kind of talk through them together. I'm really, really excited because many of these are questions that I have. Um, so, you know, I, I feel like we're, um, we're all going to be benefiting from this. Um, so one of the questions is, I have a thinning hairline and part. Um, why is it most apparent in these areas? And how can I target those specific areas to grow back fuller? Um, I love this question because this is something that, you know, I have personally gone through. Um, I feel like a lot of people I know deal with this. Um, so, you know, essentially it's just about how, you know, why does thinning happen in, you know, more targeted specific areas? And then how how can you help, you know, regrowth in those areas, basically? So this is super common. Um, pattern hair loss or androgenetic alopecia usually causes a widening in the part line for women and a receding hairline or baldness on the top of the scalp in men. And we think this is because the hair follicles in those locations may be more sensitive to DHT, which is the hormone we discussed plays a role in hair loss. So if you are experiencing hair loss in certain areas, I think topical treatment targeted to those areas would be a particularly good place to start. When you say topical treatment specifically targeted those, um, are you talking about like hair serums or, you know, are there specific ingredients that you're telling people to look for? Just, you know, just so people have a, a way that they can start, you know, a, an avenue to go down. Sure. So as far as topical ingredients, you have options. So topical minoxidil is an FDA-approved topical treatment for hair loss. 
It comes in different concentrations and formulations, but the best bet is going to be the 5% bowl. It stays put and maybe a little bit better tolerated. Um, I will say Minop still can cause irritation and excess facial hair growth. And it's also important to note that you may notice even more shedding within the first month or two. But like most hair loss regimens, you really need three to six months of consistent use to see results. Now, if if someone is looking for a natural topical treatment for hair loss, I think there's really exciting data about topical caffeine. So you can look for serums that contain that. Um, Turmeric is actually another ingredient to look for in hair scalp care, especially if you're prone to a particularly dry or irritated scalp. Um, this can help get your scalp in really good shape for growing healthy hair. And there's also some early data that turmeric may help block DHT also. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Um, you know, those are great, great starting points. Um, okay. So the next question that I'll go back to is uh, about postpartum hair loss. Um, uh, the reader asks, I know postpartum, postpartum hair loss is common, but I feel like I lost too much and now my hair is thinner than it was before. Is this normal and what can I do? So I would say if it's only been a year or so, I would probably give it time because most postpartum hair loss or telogen effluvium resolves on its own. And the hair takes time to grow back, especially if you have long hair, it's a slow process. But if it's been longer than a year, let's say it's been a couple years, it is possible that the postpartum hair loss actually uncovered another type of hair loss, like female pattern hair loss or androgenetic alopecia, which becomes more common as we age. And so that can explain why hair doesn't completely get back to its full density. So I would recommend that, you know, if that reader is particularly concerned, they should go see a board-certified dermatologist to get the right diagnosis and then come up with an individual treatment plan. Okay. Um, quick follow-up then, you know, obviously your your point about um, hair growth takes time is is absolutely noted. Um, but, you know, just out of curiosity, typically at what point does postpartum start, postpartum hair loss start? And when about do you, you know, expect it to resolve? So it's not instant, you know, you get this beautiful baby and the hair loss is not going to, you know, fall, the hair is not going to come out the next day. Like, um, you know, other triggers for telogen effluvium, after childbirth, there's usually a few months delay before you start seeing the shedding. And we think that this shedding generally lasts for several months, but really it should have stopped by the one year point and your hair should really be showing some signs of regrowth by one year. So I use one year kind of as a mark, you know, if you just had a baby, you're within that first year, I wouldn't worry. But you know, if your baby's two or three now, I think there may be something else going on rather than just the routine postpartum hair loss. Okay. Um, the next question from um, one of our MBG Beauty uh, listeners has to do with um, curly hair and how much is normal to, to lose. So this reader asks, um, I have curly hair, so I don't brush it daily and I wash it only two to, th to three times a week. So when I do detangle and wash it, it feels like a lot of hair comes out. 
how can I tell if I am losing the normal amount of hair? So this is another really common question. Um, you know, we shed 50 to 100 or so hairs per day, and that is normal. But the amount that you see in the drain or on the brush is just really going to depend on how often you brush or wash your hair. So if you brush or wash infrequently, that shed hair is going to accumulate until you brush or wash again. And there are hair shedding scales, like even ones particular for curly hair or longer hair that you can find online to see what that 50 to 100 looks like. So you certainly don't need to, you know, go in counts. Um, but keep in mind that if you're only washing your hair every three days, you probably are going to see three times that normal amount in the trade you do. Okay. Um, that's helpful to know because I'm somebody who definitely falls in the... Uh, the camp of I don't wash my hair as much. Um, and so, you know, every time I take a shower, I'm like, is this normal? <laughs> I'm pulling out hair. Just ooh, feels like the glob falls at times. But um, okay. So the next question has to do with dry shampoo. Um, this is something that I know beauty editors get asked a lot about. I am sure that you get asked a lot about this as well. Um, the question is, is dry shampoo really that bad? Or can I still use it if I wash my hair regularly? I think this is a great question, and I would also like to know. <laughs> yeah, um, it is a great question. So I personally think dry shampoo is a nice tool to absorb oil and kind of give that instant volume to your roots in a pinch. But if it is used too often or without traditional shampooing, you know, in the shower with water, it's going to lead to buildup and inflammation. And as we know from earlier in the chat, buildup and inflammation on the scalp, bad news for your hair. So if you wash your hair regularly and you're just using dry shampoo as the occasional pick-me-up, then great. But I would check online to make sure that the specific brand or batch that you're using, especially if your bottle is a few years old, has not been recalled or that there isn't concern regarding benzene contamination. If there is, toss it out. And I am somewhat biased because I'm a consultant for Vegamore, but I think Vegamore has a great dry shampoo that I love and it is benzene free. Okay. That is such a good tip. I think you hear about the uh, benzene contamination so much more with sunscreens, but it's just as true for some dry shampoos as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think we think it's during like the process of like aerosolizing something. So sunscreens are aerosolized, dry shampoos are aerosolized, that I guess at certain manufacturers, um, these products have been contaminated with benzene. And we know that benzene at high doses can cause cancer. So it is a serious concern. And I'm glad that, you know, kind of as a community where we, we know more and we're able to take action to make sure that we're safe. Sure. Um, quick follow-up question to the shampoo question is, um, how long could you go between washes? Um, I Because that is always the follow-up question that I get when I talk about dry shampoo. They're like, okay, well then how long is too long? <laughs> so I I would say at least wash your hair one to two times a week. If you are prone to dandruff, you actually need to wash your hair more frequently than that. So I wouldn't go more than about every other day, depending on your hair type. 
So in general, one to two times a week, but if you already have a scalp condition, washing more frequently is actually going to improve your symptoms. Okay, the next question um, is about professional treatments um, and in-office treatments. Um, so the, uh, the question is, what sort of professional treatments are there for hair loss? I've tried serums and supplements, and I want to try something more intensive. So there are multiple treatments, many treatments. And if you do decide to seek professional help, I recommend finding a board-certified dermatologist. Your dermatologist will evaluate your hair and scalp, and based on the pattern or type of hair loss that you have, may recommend over-the-counter or prescription topicals, prescription oral treatments, injections or device-based treatments. And as far as prescription oral medicines, some that we recommend are considered off-label. So that means that they are approved medications for other conditions, but research suggests that they may help with hair loss. And I'll give you an example. Oral spironolactone is a diuretic, but it may help block hormone production at the hair follicle in higher doses. So the approach overall to treating hair loss is really multimodal. And what I mean by that is your dermatologist may suggest more than one treatment to help optimize your results. Um, so that may be a combination of in-office treatments and at-home treatments. And we'll really make a plan using your personal medical history, which is a really important piece to this, your own exam findings, as well as your personal preferences. Okay. And you had mentioned... Um, in injections um as well as tools or you alluded to i would i would love to know more about what those might be so i think it depends on the type of hair loss so um platelet-rich plasma or prp injections um have been used um, for various types of hair loss including um antigenetic alopecia as well as telogen and i think they're um there still needs to be more research but there um there is data that suggests that it can help but I would say overall the data is a bit mixed. Um, as far as device-based treatments, you may have seen those laser caps or laser combs. Those are actually kind of emitting uh, kind of low levels of energy, and um, they may help increase hair density and reduce hair shedding. But again, there there's just been a small number of clinical trials. So um, I think the data as far as how devices may help is only growing. Um, similarly, um, microneedling has been used um, to stimulate hair growth and microneedling in conjunction with different topicals, which is really exciting. I actually kind of did a, a version of poking holes in the skin and putting topicals on and seeing what happens at Mass General, except we were using a laser instead of microneedles. So it's a really exciting field. And what we know is changing very quickly. Um, but your your expert, your dermatologist is going to be up to date and you know, will be able to come up with something that's right for you. That sounds so fascinating what you just mentioned with um, the laser therapy. Um, wow, I can't wait to see what comes, comes from that research. Okay, so the last question um is a reader question from yours truly um i actually saw a video that you did that was um surrounding this topic um and so i had to ask added into the questions that i was asking you um it was uh or the question is can you reverse grain um 
like I said, when I was doing my research on you, I, ca I came across a video and I, I wanted to learn more. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I Yeah, you did your homework, huh? So I, I think they're, again, hair gray is really, really interesting. And I will say the um, short answer is yes, you can. So hair graying is more easily reversible when you have a few grays and again, when you're younger. And the reason is those pigment cells in the hair follicle called melanocytes um, are still able to produce pigment. You know, they haven't burnt out yet. They aren't old. They're young pigment cells um, and they're able to regenerate and create hair color. So there, there actually are studies that show that um, clinical studies that show that stress is actually linked to graying too, not just hair loss, but graying. And actually when stressors are taken away in younger people with a few grays, the grays actually go away. So you start seeing normal hair pigment. So it's a really exciting field. And I think, you know, even by using simple modifications, like reducing your stress, you know, you may be able to reduce your gray hair. So stay tuned for more. That is so fascinating. Um, I It blew my mind. Um, and as somebody who is, I, <laughs> like I said earlier in the episode, at the very beginning stages of singing some grays, that, that obviously piqued my interest. <laughs> um, so anyway, thank you for asking all of our reader questions. Those are so fun and so fascinating. Um, okay, so the last Thing that I always talk to my guests about is how they take care of themselves. Um, you know, I always start with the beauty part of it. Um, so let's talk about skincare and hair care. You know, what what is your normal beauty routine look like? Yeah. So as far as skincare, um, sun protection first. I feel like dermatologists are broken records, but it's so true. I wear a tinted mineral sunscreen every single day of the year on my face. I wash my face twice a day with a very gentle cleanser and I moisturize. You really don't need fancy stuff. And I really do think it is that simple. Um, as far as skincare, I also like, like to add in this discussion that it's not just what you're putting on your face. It's what you're not putting on your face. So I will say like today I feel cute and glam. But if you see me in my office or you see me day to day, I don't wear makeup. And the reason is, is I feel like it's just something extra, you know, multiple extra products that I'm putting on my face um, that really aren't doing anything to improve my skin health. And the times I've gone weeks to months without wearing makeup, my skin looks better than ever. So that's kind of the skin piece. I would say as far as hair, I have come a long way. So I am much kinder to my hair now. In my teens and 20s, I colored my hair. I chemically straightened my hair every six months. And it completely destroyed my hair. I was doing this for about 10 years, probably from the time I was 16 to 26. And now I completely avoid coloring or any chemical treatments. I rarely use heat on my hair. And I'm not afraid of haircuts anymore. Um, you know, I think my hair just looks healthier short. So I just wear it short now. Because I think, again, healthy skin and healthy hair is pretty skin and pretty hair. And I only use clean products on my hair and scalp for reasons that I mentioned. Okay. I mean, you have great hair. It looks nice and thick, too. Oh, thank you. You know, again, it's like it's taken a lot to get it back to this. But, um, you know, I during medical school, I experienced hair loss. And it was it was from a lot of the things I was doing to my hair as well as stress. So it's taken time to just kind of be kind to my body again and to be kind to my hair. And, and you know, you slowly, you, you slowly can and 
get some growth back. Okay. Um, well, that's reassuring for for our listeners to hear, I'm sure. Um, and then, you know, the second part of this question is how you take care of yourself as a whole. And, you know, um, like I said, like I say in every episode, we view beauty through the lens of well-being. And, you know, we, we believe that there are elements of this that are all interconnected. And, um, you know, so I'm always curious about how people take care of themselves in general. So I was used, introduced to transcendental meditation, like we spoke about about four years ago. And it's a big part of how I take time for myself and care for myself. I aim for 10, um, 10, well, closer to 20 minutes once a day. And it has really just kind of changed my overall perspective and how I'm able to cope with the day. So it's really important to me. I talked about prioritizing sleep. Sleep is no joke for me. I really do go to bed early every night to make sure I can get those nine hours. And everyone needs a different amount of time to be rested. But there are very few to know people who feel less that you know, adults can go less than six and seven hours and be able to function on a day-to-day basis with less sleep than that. So I think it's so important for your well-being and for all of these body functions that we talked about. Sleep is important in kind of renewing and regenerating. So um, it, it's critical to me for wellness. I think as far as movement, I, um, I think walking is great for the mind and for the body. And I've dabbled in cycling and Pilates a little bit recently, Um, but I will say, like, I I am realistic. I try to do 20 minutes a day a few times a week. Nothing crazy, but I also want to be real. Like, I'd much rather sit on my couch than move, I think, many people. But once I'm into it, like, I always feel better. So I just try to do little doses, something realistic to do in my day that can kind of make me feel good um, at the end of the day that I got some movement in. And then when it comes to food, I, I mean, gosh, I love all of it. Um, I try to eat things that nourish my body. So I love salads, especially really colorful, fresh salads. But um, I never pass up on pasta or dessert. I just don't deprive myself. I, I live to eat. Um, I cook a lot. I actually got that from my mom. So I try to use seasonal ingredients when cooking. And cooking really helps me minimize the amount of processed food I eat so that I can feel really good about what I'm eating every day. And then I try to travel when I can. I, I think it makes me really happy. And it's part of what's so kind of beautiful and like to me. It's such like an enriching experience. Even a small local trip, discovery of something new. I think some of my best memories are from trips with loved ones. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Um, I thought it was so, so interesting. I feel like I learned so much. Um, and I, I feel like it was so helpful. I mean, we just covered so much ground. Um, I can't believe how much we got through. (laughs) So, you know, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yes, it's my absolute pleasure. Alex, thank you um, so much for giving me a chance to chat and share a little bit about hair health with your viewers. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.